I want to welcome you all to our worship service, and I just want to say thanks for coming, and I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. And I know my wife and their family are they're traveling back from Iowa, so I want to make sure, get safe, sweetheart, get home safe. Anyway, but I just want to thank you for coming. If you're a guest here this morning, and you may be looking for a church home, I want to encourage you right after this message, if you would go out to our guest services, we've got a gift for you. It's just our way of saying, hey, we're really glad that you came and worshiped with us. And if you're looking, if you have questions, we would love to answer those questions because we would love for you to make Central Community your permanent church home. Now, let me ask you a question. Have any of you had a senior moment in here? I guess you have to be a senior first, but... I had one of those moments, and so I was all excited about this week and been working hard on the message and all of that, and then yesterday as I was getting ready, I realized I'm preaching next week's message, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. So I told uh, Corey and I told Pastor David, I said, um, hey guys, um, I'm preaching next week's message today, and today's message is going to be preached next week. And so they had a quick run, and I know Pastor David had to do a quick Bible study on what I'm going to talk about today so that all the life groups can have the materials that you need. And so I just want to let you know that you'll be, if you're in the life group, you'll be getting an email from Corey, and I'm so sorry. I promise I'll never do it again. <laughs> but I'm going to choose to believe that God has an alternate plan for us today, okay? All right, now, in Matthew chapter 19, there's a story of a young rich man, and the young rich man comes up to Jesus, and he has a question for him. And I know a lot of you are already remembering the story. And you remember the question he asked him? He says this to him. He says, Rabbi, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, I want to tell you that if you were a bystander and you were just looking at this guy, I mean, you would think, you know what, this is a good candidate for the kingdom of heaven. And the reason is because, I mean, he's rich, he smells good, he looks good. This would be the perfect candidate for the kingdom of heaven. But then what happens, though, is that Jesus heard what he said in his very first question. You see, Jesus had asked him and told him, he goes, well, if you want, if you want to know what to do, you need to obey all the commandments. And this young man admits and he confesses that he's obeyed all of the commandments. So if that is in fact true, yes, he would be a good candidate for the kingdom of heaven because he wouldn't need a savior, right? But do you remember what the first question was he asked Jesus? He said this to Jesus. He said, Rabbi, what good deed must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus realized that this rich young man was basing all of his hope on going to heaven on himself. And so Jesus asks him, go and sell everything you have and then come and follow me. Now the dude was rich. That would be a very tough assignment, wouldn't it? I mean, can you imagine all of the things that he had? And Jesus says, go sell everything you have and then come follow me. And you remember what the Bible tells us about what he did? The Bible says he turned away and he walked away and he was sad. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff. Do you remember what Jesus said next? Jesus said, 
it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he didn't stop there. He went one step farther and he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to come into the kingdom of heaven. Now here's what I want you to know and I want you to listen very carefully to this. This caused the disciples to panic. And so you know what they did? They asked Jesus a question. And it was a great question. And here was the question. If that's true, then who can truly be saved? Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from John chapter 14, and I'm going to read just verses one through six. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that through your word, you leave no doubt. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So we're in a series right now called The I Am. And in this series, you remember that we're looking at seven statements that Jesus made about himself, and he uses a metaphor. The thing that I love about this is that in every one of these statements, Jesus is describing himself. Nobody else is describing him. He is telling us, this is who I am. All of them are recorded in the book of John. And remember, John is the record of the mostly of the record of Jesus' last year in life. So I want to get right to the point, and I want to get, tell you exactly where we are and what's going on. Here it is. It's just a few hours before Jesus is going to be arrested, which means what follows is his kangaroo court and the fact that he is tried and he is convicted and sentenced to death by crucifixion. So we're in the upper room right now. This is what some people will say, this is the Lord's last discourse. It's his last message to his disciples. And I will tell you, the conversation is very intense. You see, Jesus is doing all of the talking and everybody else is listening. Now, I would describe it for you like this, okay? It's the night of the big game. 
You've already warmed up and now you're getting ready to go out and play the game and the coach has your undivided attention because Jesus wants to share with his disciples and you and me some very important information that the disciples need to have to make it through the next very difficult few days. Now, what Jesus had just got done doing, the Bible tells us he had just got done washing the disciples' feet. Are you kidding me? I mean, washing the feet of someone was reserved for the least of the servants. You see, in those days, they didn't have any kind of gutter system. They didn't even have any kind of, of, of hardly water system. They didn't, didn't have anything as far as when, when, you, when you had garbage and you had waste, you just threw it out in the road. And so the people walked through that all during the day. So whenever you went into a home, especially before you were going to have a meal, somebody always washed your feet. And the Bible tells us that Jesus disrobed and he washed each and every one of the disciples' feet. Can you imagine what it would be like for your Lord to take your feet in his hand and be able and start to wash them and caress them? Can you imagine what it would feel like to look at this royalty, this son of God, and then for him to look at you with a smile on his face like this is indeed a treasure that he gets to do? When he's finished washing the feet, he puts on his robe and he says to the disciple this. He says, now that you have seen what I have done, you will be blessed if you do likewise. Now all of a sudden, everything changes because Jesus makes a statement that nobody in their wildest dreams could have predicted that he was gonna make and it throws everybody into an uproar. Here's what Jesus says. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. You could have heard a pin drop. Nobody saw this one coming. And I don't know about you, but the first thing that I would be thinking was this, who is it, right? And then I would probably tell everybody, well, it's not me. But that's what the disciples started doing. Everybody wanted to know who it is that he was talking about. All right, now watch this. I'm going to show you something. And this is very important, okay? This is what's known as the triclinium. This is how the upper room would have looked when the disciples had the Last Supper. And you can see that on this table that I have labeled some specific places where the key players in this story are sitting. It's very important for you to understand this. All right, now, in those days, they didn't have chairs. What they would do is they would recline at the table. So the way they did it is that everybody would sit with their head over the table. They would recline on their right elbow, and then they would eat with their left. Now, I want to point out a couple things to you. Jesus is sitting in the place of the host. Huh, go figure, right? 
I mean, he is obviously hosting this dinner, and so he is sitting in that seat. Who's sitting to Jesus' right? It's John the Baptist, or not John the Baptist. It's John, the writer of this gospel. Now, this is important to understand because this was the person that would be closest to Jesus. Now, I love how John refers to himself in his gospel. What does he say? How does he talk about himself? He doesn't mention his name. He always says, the one whom Jesus loved, right? Now, notice who's sitting to Jesus' left. It's Judas, right? What you need to know is that this is the place of honor. This is the place of the honored guest. So when you look where Judas is sitting and you go all the way clockwise around the table, every seat becomes a little less important. Now follow that clockwise and who's sitting in the last seat? Peter. You think that sat well with him? I don't think so. Because the person who sits in this seat was the one who was supposed to wash the feet. Now, guys, we've all been together, right? I mean, you get 10 or 12 of you together, and you know what's going on, and you see Peter, who's Mr. Big Mouth, who speaks first and thinks later, but yet he's been told he's the leader of the disciples, and Jesus has said that he's on his confession. He's going to build his church, right? And look where he's sitting. I would be one of the first ones to say, hey, Pete, come wash my feet. And then I'd probably hold him up and wiggle my toes just to tick him off. But he didn't wash feet. Who did? Jesus did. All right, now, knowing where everybody is sitting, now this next verse is going to make a little bit more sense to you. Here we go. Simon Peter motioned to his disciple and said, okay, now, here's what's happened. So Peter, he's sitting on the other side. He motions across the table to John, and we can tell you about how all we know where these are by Scripture verses, but we don't have time to go through this. So look what it says. Ask him which one he means. So John, leaning back against Jesus, he's the only one who could lean back on him because he's on his left elbow, right? He asked him, Lord, who is it? Everybody wants to know who it is. Well, what happens then? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus takes a piece of bread and he dips it in the bowl and then he hands it to Judas. And the Bible tells us that at that moment something happened. Remember what it was? Satan entered into him. I want to show you this verse here in Proverbs. It says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, I'm telling you this because I want you to hear me say today, guard what gets into your heart. You see, Judas had walked with Jesus all of these years. He saw everything that Jesus did, and yet he did not believe. Why? Because he did not guard his heart. And Jesus will never go anywhere that he is not invited, but Satan will go everywhere whether he's invited or not. And what happened? Satan filled his heart. And so today, remember, be careful what you look at with your eyes. Be careful of what you allow into your heart because what's in your heart as a thought comes to your mind. 
And remember, as a thought, it becomes an action. And remember, that action then becomes a work, and that work becomes a habit, and that habit becomes a destiny. And once you get down the road, it gets harder to turn around. So guard what goes into your heart. All right. So now, all of a sudden, everything breaks loose because Jesus makes this statement. He says, I'm leaving. Can you imagine the disciples when they heard him say that? They had walked with Jesus every step for three years, and now Jesus tells them that he's leaving. He's their world. He's their everything. But he doesn't just say that. You know what he also says? He says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then he says, so love each other. In other words, how you're going to get through what we're going through is you're going to have to love each other. And what we learned that is that as Jesus now looks over his disciples, they are devastated because their world has caved in on them. All right, now, with that thought in mind, now Jesus comes to him with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The disciples had just had their world turned upside down. They just had the rug pulled out from underneath them. They don't know what they're going to do because Jesus, their best friend, their Lord, who's meant everything, their protector, everything, he's leaving and they can't go with him and they are a mess. How many of you are in that situation today? Maybe your world this week has been turned upside down. Maybe you never saw what the doctor told you last Thursday. You never saw that that was coming. Maybe you are in a relationship and you never expected yourself to find yourself in this place where you are now. Maybe it's financial, but whatever it is, your world has been turned upside down. Now listen very carefully. What does Jesus say to the disciples and what is he saying to you? Here's what he says. Don't let your heart be troubled. In other words, don't be surprised by what's happening because I've been here waiting for you. Now, here's what I want you to understand. What does Jesus mean when he says, don't let your hearts be troubled? He's saying, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be concerned. I'm not saying that this is, a, is not a serious incident because just a few minutes ago, we read how Jesus was troubled in his spirit. What Jesus is saying to them and to us is this. When he says, let not your heart be troubled, he's saying this, don't lose faith. Yeah, this is a difficult time, but do not lose faith. And then he tells us, and this is how you do it. You believe in me. In other words, you put your eyes on me. You're in the word. You're going to church. You're around a community of believers. You do not run away from you. You run to me, and you keep your eyes on me. That's how you get through what you're going through. And we know it works because the disciples thrived. Here's what Jesus is telling the disciples. Hey, guys, listen up. Do you remember, have you forgotten how I changed the water into wine? 
Did you forget about all the times where you saw the lame walk, you saw the blind see, how you saw the lepers cleansed? Did you forget, guys, how I calmed the storm? Have you forgotten how I walked on the water? Have you forgotten that Lazarus, who was dead four days, how I raised him from the dead in the midst of all of the disciples' doubt, Jesus comes to them with compassion. And he goes, I get it. Now let's go on here. He goes on and he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? In other words, Jesus is simply saying this. Hey guys, if I brought you this far, do you think I'm not going to take you all the way home? And that's what he's saying to all of us here. Maybe what you're going through, maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you're going through a difficult time and Jesus is saying to you, do you think that I've brought you this far and I'm just going to leave you? No. Because I'm going to bring you all the way home. Now watch this. This is very important. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. Look at what it says here. It says, where our forerunner, and I want you to circle that word forerunner, Jesus, okay, so it's telling us our forerunner is Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So what is this saying here, Pastor Bob? Here's what it's saying. It's saying that Jesus is the forerunner. Now, what's a forerunner? Thanks for asking. A forerunner was a small regiment in the Roman army that would blaze a trail for the rest of the troops to follow. Can you picture that in your mind? They would blaze, they would blaze a trail so that everybody else could follow. Now I want you to think about this. Here's what the Bible is telling us. Jesus is our forerunner. Because of the fact that Jesus died on the cross, because of the fact that he was raised on the dead, what he was doing when he did that is he was blazing a path for us to heaven. And the fact that the Bible tells us, look, oops, went too far, sorry. There we go. It says, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. What Jesus is saying is, is this. In my father's house, remember, I'm the forerunner, there are many rooms. And when Jesus talks about the fact that there are many rooms, and somebody this morning said, I like the King James better because it says mansions. But when it comes to that place about the fact that, that there are many rooms, what Jesus is telling us is he simply means is that there's room for everybody. Did you just hear that? There's room for everybody. The Bible tells us God's will is that all men would be saved. But I want you to understand, there's a picture here that Jesus wants you and I to see and understand, and here's what it is. I want you to think of a wedding. You see, in those days, at a wedding, when the bridegroom and his family, they would go to the bride's house, and they would make a deal, and they would ask the bride to marry the groom, and when she would accept, at that point in time, there was a document that would be sealed, and then what would happen is that they would then go home. The, the, the groom and his dad would go home back to their house. The bride would stay where she was. Guess what the groom and the father were doing? They would build and add a room onto the house. Why? So that when the time was right, that the groom would go back, grab the bride, and take the bride back 
to the Father's house where she was now going to live. You see, this is the picture that Jesus wants them to have in their minds. There's a time coming. Right now, the Father is building your room. And when the time is done, and it's not based on when Jesus says the room is done, it's based on when the Father says it's done, then the Father says to Jesus, you can go. He says to the groom, you can go and get your bride. And then you come back, and now you live together. Now look at this. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Guys, this is a promise. And you can bank on that promise. You see, Jesus is telling us, guess what? I know why I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross in your place. And I'm going to the cross because I know that when I go on the cross and when I die, I'm going to pay for all of your sins, the sins you've ever committed, the sins you are committing, the sins you will ever commit. But I'm dying for those. And guess what happens? My father's going to raise me from the dead, and that's going to be the proof that your sin has been forgiven. So guess what? I understand why I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross so that we can be together for eternity. And this is what the disciples want to hear. Jesus saying, I'm coming back. And I'm coming back because I want to spend eternity with you. You're the reason Jesus went to the cross. But you're also the reason why he's coming back. I want to tell you something right now. You want to know what the greatest gift that you can give to your kids is, to your grandchildren, is the fact of knowing where you will spend eternity. Now watch this. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? That word know, that word know is the word that creates certainty for us. In other words, it means it creates certainty beyond a shadow of the doubt. Because Jesus went to the cross, he died for your sins, now we wear a righteous gown. And the Bible tells us, listen very carefully, that when Jesus looks at you, he does not see your sin. You have to stop thinking that he does. Why would God see your sin? Jesus already paid the price. You know what? He sees you. When he looks at you, he sees you robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, why did he do that? Here's why. Because Jesus wanted Christians, he wanted believers to know that you can live your life beyond the shadow of a doubt, knowing where you will spend eternity if you have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, and Satan can't change that. So because of that, why would you not give your children, why would you not give your grandchildren that gift? You need to sit down with your kids. You need to sit down with your spouse. And especially at my age, I really need to do it. But here's what we need to do. We need to sit down with them and say, I need you to understand something. I know where I'm going to spend eternity. There's going to come a day 
when the Lord is going to come back and he's going to call me home. But I want you to know this. Don't cry for me. Because where I'm going, I don't ever want to come back. There will be joy. There will be great delight. There will be no more tears. There will be more, no more sorrow. I will be okay. But then you need to remind them, but this is what I need you to do, and you need to promise me this. You do whatever you have to do so that you can get where I am. Amen? Because you know what? I want to spend eternity with my kids, with my grandchildren, with my family. And I can't do it. Only Christ can do it. And this scripture verse tells me that I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where I will spend eternity. And I love doing funerals when I know beyond a shadow of a doubt where that individual is. So take care of that. Amen? All right. We're going to wrap it up here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Here's the key word. Everybody say that word together. One, two, three. The. The. Did you know that in the English language, the word the means specific? So when the Bible says the way, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, it's kind of like this. If I would say to you something like, oh, look, there is a car, compared to if I say there is the car, right? If I say there's a car, it could be any car, but if I say there is the car, now you know I'm talking about a specific car. And this is what Jesus is saying to us, you guys. He's saying, I am the way. In other words, he's saying, I'm being specific. I am the only way. The world will tell you there are many roads that lead to heaven. Not true. How can you believe that, Pastor Bob? That's pretty narrow-minded. And you know what I would say to him? Yes, it is. In fact, Jesus said the same thing. He said, the road that leads to life is narrow and hard, and few get to it. You're right, it is narrow. But you know why I believe it? Because of who said it. And you know who said it? Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ said it, I believe it, and I'm going to bet my life on it. Now, I want you to look at this. Without Jesus as the way, there is no going to heaven. Without Jesus as the truth, there is no complete knowledge of God. Without Jesus as the life, there is no experience of eternal life. I know there may be some in here today, and with what I'm telling you, you're just thinking, I'm just not sure, Pastor Bob. That's okay because I'm having the conversation with an individual right now about the same thing. And you know what? If you have children, there are times when you want something so bad for your kids. But in the end, they're the ones that have to make the decision. Maybe you have children that don't know who Jesus is. You know what my advice is to you? Don't try and argue with them, and don't try and tell them facts. 
Just demonstrate that love by the way you live your life. And if you do that, that will cause them to start asking questions. You see, questions are the sign that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. So I just want you to hear today, if you haven't made that decision, if you have questions about that, what I've been talking about here in John 1.14, you can go out to the starting point and somebody will be there to pray with you and answer any questions you have. But I want you to make, make sure that you understand Jesus makes it crystal clear. And he says, you want to know the way to the Father? It's real simple. It's through me. I am the way. Not a way, but the way. And so here's what I want to close with. I saw this on a greeting card one time, and it goes like this. The Bible says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I pray that mine is next to yours. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift. Just like that rich young man, many of us, we try and live our lives in a way that we can say that I did this, I did that, but Father, your word tells us that even the good deeds that we think that we do is like filthy rags. And so, Father, I have to come to the end of myself and I have to realize that it's not about what I did. It's all about what was done for me. Jesus went to the cross and he took my place. And by taking my place, he was the representative. He was the propitiation for my sin. And now, that gift that he paid, he offers to all people. Today, Father, I receive that gift. I'm taking what you did for me. I don't understand it, but I'm going to receive it because I know it's from you. And Father, right now, I pray for Israel. I pray for that land, your people, in so much turmoil. And Father, I want us to be reminded here today that it's not about the Hamas, it's not about those in Hezbollah, it's not about anything like that. The real enemy is Satan. He is the enemy. And I pray, Lord God, I pray for those people, I pray for their protection, but most of all, I pray that they know who Jesus is, the Messiah, the one who lived the perfect life under the law, the one who took my place on the cross, the one that you raised from the dead so that I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where my home is for eternity. And I pray this believing and trusting in you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen.